Good morning. It's an honor and a privilege for us to be here with you this morning, and we want to thank you for your faithful support. Um, everyone should have our little prayer card, and if I don't say it now, I'll forget altogether. There's our email on that prayer card. If you're not getting our newsletter, our updates from Ecuador, then please send us an email to that address, and we'll add you to our list. Okay? And I want to say uh, we really value and appreciate the diversity of ministries that Coast is supporting. We want you to understand, because I'm going to be focusing on one kind of ministry today, that we're not saying other ministries don't have value, that every part of the body of Christ plays its role. And we all really work together for one ultimate aim, the advance of the kingdom of God. Okay, so... Now, Cheryl and I attended Coast Bible from uh, about two and a half years, from about 1991 to 1993, and it was a wonderful time in our lives. We were recently married and had no kids at that point until uh, Tabitha was born just before we left. Um, so we were able, we had the time and energy, like Kara was kind of talking about, the difference between with kids and without, um, to pour ourselves into this church. And we established some real enduring friendships, and we really value those. And we see many of our friends from long time ago. Okay, in today's soundbite world, um, main point today, okay, long-term missions, long-term missionaries are still desperately needed in the developing world. Is it you? Second, the principal task of missions today is equipping believers in the developing world so that they can partner with us effectively reaching and teaching the lost. It's exactly what Arch was talking about. This is Alex. Okay. Alex is an example or an illustration of a lot of what I want to share with you today. When we first moved to Ecuador, Alex was a youth whose family attended our small local Ecuadorian church. At that point, he had never picked up a guitar, and he had never read the Bible outside of church. I invited him out for coffee and asked him about himself to feel out where he was spiritually, and I saw a lot of potential. So we involved him in our lives, our imperfect lives, I mean to say, okay, because we have lots of warts, and he got to see them all. Um... But, by the way, you may wonder or worry about taking your kids to the mission field. Our kids were an integral part of our ministry from the outset, from the very beginning. We shared missionary stories with them from the time they were as little as, like, Tom Bennett's kids, you know. Um, we, We shared these stories, and they owned missions. It was their task, too. See, it wasn't something imposed upon them. Our kids have been one of our greatest assets in drawing people to our lives, and Alex is a great example of that. Um, Probably didn't help that, didn't hurt that Tabitha was a cute blonde who was outspoken and intentional about her faith, and that Elizabeth, our uh, second daughter, became Alex's most faithful and reliable band member over the course of the church worship team. Our own kids' very real faith, the next one, um, there's John Michael with Alex, uh, permeates every part of our imperfect lives. And that made an indelible impact on Alex's conception of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? We involved him in every kind of interactive training. Next slide. There we go. Um, that we taught in the church and in our young adult Sunday school class, um, where we modeled interactive Bible teaching methods. Okay? Involved the young people in actually studying the Bible for themselves for the first time in their lives. 
Here is Alex on two different occasions sharing his faith, sharing Christ one-on-one with an individual at an outreach that we were doing. And here he is on the campus at Sateca, which is the Central American Theological Seminary in Guatemala, where he's currently training for the pastorate. So over the course of our long-term relationship, long-term relationship with Alex since 2006, he's gone from being a spiritual infant who didn't read the Bible for himself through spiritual childhood where he learns the basics of the faith and grows into spiritual young adulthood where he becomes involved in ministry and now becoming a spiritual parent where he himself is helping others be born again and is coaching them as they grow in Christ. So this kind of prolonged interaction and input into someone's life requires a long-term commitment. And it is much more about relationship than it is about imparting information. That's really an important point. So long-term missionaries are desperately needed in the developing world. And I want you to consider, is it you? Is God calling you to pick up and go? And I'll say anybody can be used by the Lord in the foreign fields, okay? We need accountants on the mission field. We need all the most unlikely professions for missions that you can imagine. Yes, there's a place for you. Because it's about relationship. You can be a tent maker, you can be using your profession, and you can share your life with a handful of people who will be deeply transformed. And they will become ministers in their place. You are multiplying the workforce. Okay, So the principal task, therefore, of missions today is equipping believers in the developing world, the majority world, so that they can effectively reach and teach others. Okay, now people in the majority world, the developing world, the two-thirds world, some people say, it was formerly called the third world, right, are coming to Christ in unprecedented numbers. Do you know that? They outnumber us in the West. They often, despite severe persecution and hardship, like what you see with ISIS, they're enthusiastically embracing their responsibility to join in the work of reaching the lost around the world. At this point, more missionaries are being sent out from the former countries that used to receive missionaries than from us. Did you know that? But, for the most part, what these new believers lack is godly role models. They haven't seen the Christian life lived out by someone who's mature in the Lord. And they lack a thorough knowledge of God's Word. And so, therefore, they're very prone to go out and teach heresy. Although they mean well. Now, I don't want to leave you confused, okay? The job is not done. There are still many completely unreached people groups. There are still huge numbers of lost souls in those countries you think of when you think missions. Okay? China, for example, still has over a billion lost souls. And we need to continue sending missionaries to China. But did you know China is the country with the third largest number of Christians? Of all the countries in the world. Of course, half the world belongs in China, lives in China, right? So, I mean, you can have a small percentage and they outnumber you. It's just amazing. But you see, those people are going out as missionaries. There is the Back to Jerusalem project in China where they're sending missionaries through the Muslim world towards Jerusalem. And those people who are in the developing world need us to live among them and become Christ in the flesh. You know, God incarnate. He lived among us. 
to share your life in such a way that they catch it too and go to maturity in Christ and are sharing the truth and not a distorted version thereof. Okay? So, this is where the need for long-term missionaries comes in. Now, it's not enough to make the Jesus film available on the internet because it's not just about knowing the story. Now, I don't mean to demean the, uh, the Jesus film. J- Mike Wade sent us versions of the Jesus film that have every language that's used in Ecuador. So, fantastic. And we have used those tools in our ministry. They're fantastic tools. Cooperation between all the different ministries is crucial. But you need to understand, my principal message is that the developing world is high-touch, not high-tech. It's not about giving them a little Bible audio that they can take to their house. That doesn't do the job. It is relationship that earns credibility so that they truly hear. In Latin America, people are so polite. If you come and knock on their door, would you like to talk about Jesus? Of course I would. Would you like to pray to receive Christ? Of course I would. And then they close the door. I'm sure glad he's gone. That's the eighth time I've prayed to receive Christ this year. They learn more from modeling. They learn more from seeing it done and from doing it themselves rather than from book learning. Okay? Or especially lectures on abstract concepts. Jesus became incarnate. God became a man in order to reveal God to us, to show us what God is like. And we have to do the same. God has always chosen to work through the gospel with skin on it. With all our flaws, you may feel like you are totally inadequate. Well, guess what? You're in good company, okay? Now, efforts like those of Arch Rutherford are essential because he's training at a high level, you know, theological training for pastors, and they need to know the truth. They need to know how to preach well. So there's many valid pieces of the puzzle that is missions and ministry. But what we're seeing in Loha is that the truth is caught rather than taught. We must indeed teach the truth and teach God's word. But more than that, they need us living among them, investing our lives with them, modeling how the truth applies to life, and walking alongside them. And I'll tell you, that is exhausting. Now, you may be sitting there going, well, I guess that comes natural for this guy. (laughs) No, I am relationally challenged. Ask any of my children. (laughs) But it is strategic. It's exhausting. Cheryl and I are both introverts, okay? I can stand up here. Howard Hendricks told me he is an introvert, you know? And he, is, he was preaching to 30,000 college students at a time, you know? It's the Billy Graham type thing. And you're like, my goodness. And this guy says he's an introvert. Well, you can get up on the stage. But when you go home, you're just like, you know, you let the air out of the balloon, you know? Okay. So, but the strategic value is worth the cost, Get out of your comfort zone. Now, at the same time as everything I've said, we must approach our role with humility and a teachable spirit. We can learn from the people in the developing world, okay? I'm not trying to say, we know it all. We're going to them to hand it out, you know, to the poor little people down there. That's not right. Mutual respect and mutual value is the foundation of successful missions today. We are in genuine partnership. And you'll see some of the things um, that I talk about later in this, in this talk. If it were not for the local people, we couldn't do what we do. 
Our fine Ecuadorian pastor has been a believer for 45 years. He was one of the first converts in Loja when uh, Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries came back uh, 45 years ago. And he was 17 at the time, and he went out preaching on the streets. He got stones thrown at him and all kinds of stuff. It was pretty unpopular to be an evangelical believer, Bible-believing Christian at that day and time. But we consider ourselves privileged to join him and multiply his impact. I will never speak Spanish as well as he does or be able to express it in the language of the locals the way he can. But I can multiply what he can accomplish and I can extend his impact. Okay, as we talk about missions, we're going to go to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Very well known to the majority of you. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, I'm no Greek expert, okay? But those who are inform me that the principal verb or the principal command in verse 19 is make disciples. It is not like it looks in English. It's not go. No, it's as you're going or the McReynolds interlinear puts it, Having traveled, make disciples. Okay? Make disciples is the point. It's not go, 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 go. As you go, we all go. So as you go through your life, make disciples. And it doesn't say converts. I think it's very important we don't ignore the bookends. There's bookends on this passage, okay? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... As a consequence of that, go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus has all authority. Jesus doesn't share spiritual authority with the president or the Buddha or Muhammad or any other alleged spiritual leader. The exclusivity of the Christian gospel is not my idea. It comes from Scripture itself, from Christ himself who said, no one comes to the Father but through me. People really do need Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And it's because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth that he can and does command us to go and tell others. We need to take the authority of Christ Jesus seriously. I came across a verse the other day. Now, the words are true in our cultural context, although they were originally intended for Jewish believers, you know, in the Old Testament descendants of Israel. Isaiah 51, 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. The New American Standard puts it this way. Nor be dismayed at their revilings. The gospel is not politically correct. And we need to recognize we have a mandate from a higher authority who actually is the embodiment of absolute truth that does not give us permission to verbally assault people with the gospel. There's a difference. We'll come back later to how we share God's truth, okay? So back to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The other bookend is equally important. Jesus said... Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus will be with us always, and that is important. Why? Because every missionary must deal with the reality of loneliness. Being a missionary means leaving your comfort zone. That's what it means. 
and stepping into a context that's not your own. You will not feel at home, and you won't be like, oh, I'm just really comfortable here. No. And so that may be happening in your very own neighborhood, you see. Going to someone who's from a completely different cultural context, who's moved into your neighborhood, who lives there. You know, your Pakistani doctor or whatever it is. That somebody who's an immigrant, somebody who's from a very different cultural context, different worldview, different religious background, and you live there with them. So you can be a missionary right here, stepping outside your comfort zone. And I believe that the Great Commission applies to each and every one of us. I believe our country is where it is today because American Christians have not taken that seriously. We have failed to effectively share Christ with those who do not know Him right around us. We are all called to step out of our comfort zones to make disciples as we go through this life. And the reality that Christ is with us in this endeavor is truly the greatest comfort you can have. Now, you may not feel like that's a big deal. You're kind of like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is with me. Well, that just tells us how little we really understand who God is. Listen to how the scriptures talk about this. This is Joshua 1, 8 and 9, or actually verse 9. And God is speaking. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Why? For or because the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. you get the idea? I mean, it's God we're talking about here. And that's transformative. You may feel inadequate. Guess what? We all are. But God is with you. We go not in our own strength, but in His. Okay, back to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who's trying to become like Jesus. That includes coming to saving faith and then being baptized, identifying with Christ. But it doesn't stop there. The Great Commission next states teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, point of clarification, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let me just say briefly, Scripture makes it clear we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, who died on the cross to completely and fully pay for my sins and yours, all of them, and who rose again on the third day in victory because our debt was fully and finally paid. That means we are saved completely apart from our obedience. Completely apart from our obedience. Salvation has nothing whatsoever to do with your behavior. Now, in a moment, I'm going to talk about learning to discern or evaluate where a person is. And that is talking about on their spiritual journey, not for the purpose of judging them. Is he in or out? That's God's business, right? But for the purpose of knowing where I need to focus my efforts. In my effort to help them take the next step. And that is freeing men and women. How many of you think of evangelism as a one dump the truck thing? I've got to know the whole thing. (laughs) I'm terrified, you know. People feel so intimidated to be a witness for Christ because they think they've got to do this massive job all at once. False. 
I am a pediatrician, okay? Being a parent doesn't end with conception, nor even with miraculous childbirth, okay? No, after the child is born, there's an expectation of various future activities we as parents will do with the child as he or she develops, right? Dad may dream of the day he can play catch with his son, right? Or of the day he can catch his little daughter as she jumps to his arms in the pool, right? Implicitly, when we have a child, there's an expectation that the child will develop and mature. As a pediatrician, a great deal of our time is devoted to evaluating and monitoring a child's development and to early intervention if the child's development is at risk. Now, I hasten to add, if the child does not develop as expected, if for some reason his or her development is arrested, that does not make him or her any less a child or any less earnestly loved by the parents and by God. A special needs child is precious in the sight of the Lord and has inestimable intrinsic value as a person made in the image of God. I hope you can see the analogy. When a person is born again, the normal expectation and the biblical command is that he or she mature and develop. But a truly born again person is not any less born if that development does not occur. So scripture often uses this analogy of human development to talk about our spiritual growth after the new birth through faith in Christ. 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Ephesians 4, uh, 14 and 15 that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting or scheming, one of the other translations says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. The scriptures are replete with commands and exhortations for us to walk worthy of his calling, which certainly implies if there's all these exhortations telling you, please do it, do it, do it, do it, that there will be some who won't. And that a deliberate choice and effort on our part is required, although the power source for this transformation is the Holy Spirit. As we yield our will to him and say, God, I can't, but you can, then we find the ability to do the impossible, to be changed by God at work in our lives, right? Now, I've come to one of the most important points in the sermon. You can go ahead and switch to the next slide. Okay, and we'll leave it there for a while. It seems like oftentimes we believers have a one-size-fits-all mentality. We have one little evangelistic presentation. We have one little discipleship manual that one-size-fits-all, which is not the way it works. In medicine, that would be akin to giving you the same treatment no matter what's wrong with you. Okay? Long time ago, I had the privilege, I, I watched a TV show. Uh, George Clooney was on, I, it may have even been Johnny Carson. But it may have been Jay Leno, I don't remember who was the host. But he was the pediatrician in ER early in George Clooney's career, okay? So he, the host says, suppose somebody comes into your ER uh, bleeding and dying after a major car wreck. George Clooney goes, two large bore IV catheters and two liters of normal saline IV stat." Right? Sounds pretty good. 
The host says, somebody comes into your ER with abdominal pain, doubling over, vomiting blood. And George Clooney, two large bore IV catheters, two liters of normal saline IV stat. Then the host says, suppose somebody comes into your ER with a splitting headache and a blood pressure of 220 over 140. And George Clooney, two large bore IV catheters and two liters of IV normal saline stat. Same treatment for everything, right? Well, this scale illustrates a big concept. I'm not saying I agree with every word on it, okay? Well, it's not nitpick details. The point is to get the big idea, okay? This is uh, showing for evangelism, helping someone come to faith, saving faith in Christ, okay? So this applies to the unsaved friend that you have, okay? One size does not fit all. For most people, conversion is a process. Many decisions, little steps have to be taken, and you can help people around you take the next step. So this is practical, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you get that. If you don't walk out of here today trying to do this stuff, you really missed it. This is not just about missions on the foreign field. It's about missions in your own house, in your own family, in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace, etc. Okay? We want to make an accurate diagnosis of where somebody is if we want to prescribe the right treatment. Clear enough? For example, some people are extremely hostile towards Christianity and Christ. They really believe it's a bad thing. They think that there's a lot of wickedness and evil in the world as a result of religion and Christ and all that. Well, that person is really, it's the negative 14 person, they're far away from the Lord. And you will never convert that person by arguing with them about what they believe. They have an emotional barrier that is not based on reason. It's based on feelings. So how do you deal with that person? Have you ever heard the saying, the mind convinced against the will is of the same opinion still? That's a good one. The mind convinced against the will is of the same opinion still. In order to break down that hostility, our job is to earn credibility. Okay? That hostile person needs to see that you are a competent, intelligent, caring person. And then they get the shock and surprise of realizing you're a Christian. And that messes with their construct. And you have taken them one step further. And they're like, well, I guess not every Christian is a rotten egg, you know? So don't confront them with the fallacies of their logic or try to show them why they're wrong. Just love them. This requires intentionality. Conscious choice. Okay? God is patient. He's given each one of us an awful lot of freedom. Think about all the ridiculous things you have believed at some point in your life, right? He rarely strikes people down with a lightning bolt because of their beliefs. Well, if we're to be like Jesus, we have to tolerate the reality that that person is not where you wish they were. You don't agree with them. Well, you're right. You don't agree with them. Okay? But we have to get past our natural emotional gut reaction to these people who are hostile to Christ and biblical truth and love them as Christ would love them. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Now, one thing that can help you as you deal with someone like that who's very, very far from Christ is to seek out common ground. We have more in common with lost people than we think. Pretty much everybody wants to feel loved and respected. Be treated right. Pretty much everybody loves their children. 
and what's good for them. So focus your conversations when you're dealing with the hostile, really, really distant from the Lord person. Focus your conversations on things you can agree about. And in that way, demonstrate to them that you're not just some narrow-minded, bigoted, homophobic person. You see? And the monster goes away. By contrast, a person who's quite neutral and maybe just really disinterested, you know, that religion's great for you. That person may need you to spark their interest with a question. Okay? Some of you don't talk about Christ at all. Others of us, when you open your mouth, you can't shut it up. (laughs) We talk too much. We try to give all the answers to people who are not asking any questions. Instead, try the reverse. Try asking questions to people who are not seeking answers and see if you can get them to start thinking and unsettle their belief system, you see? Question it. In fact, one of the best questions you can ask is just, really? Somebody goes, image is everything. Really? Just walk away. Let it go at that. May I ask you a question? That can be one of the best things that you can say. You know, as an example, okay? Years ago, I visited a Buddhist co-worker when I was working in the States. She actually had a Buddhist shrine in her home. Okay? Wow. In seminary, we had learned that Buddhists actually don't believe in a god at all. So after she explained to me all the rituals that they do and all the prayers, we pray here, we pray here, we pray here, we do this and we do that, then I ask her just, who do you pray to? And she was taken aback. She'd never even considered that question. So she stopped and thought for a moment and initially said, well, I guess to our ancestors. But she had already told me she didn't believe, really, that the ancestors had any effect on her current life. So I kind of reminded her she'd said that, and she's like, yeah, um, I guess we pray to ourselves. And I'm not saying this to take credit. You know, this is just one step. We each get to do that. Take the person one step closer. But within a year, she became a Christian. She had previously told me I could never become a Christian. It would be so dishonoring to my family. But within a year, she did. Just because of questioning, and of course, there were other influences in her life. She married a guy who was a Christian, and that probably had a little to do with it. Um, But she continues to be one of our financial supporters today. Now she understands. So each one of us can be used by God to help other people take the next step towards saving faith. And seriously, this requires that you decide to do this. It requires that you're thoughtful. Okay, When you are doctor with your patient, you can ask a question that will spark spiritual thought. When you have some relationship with somebody, it doesn't really matter what your job is or what type of role you play, but you can influence others by just a little little thing. You can give a faith story about, you know, I used to struggle with that. God has really helped me with that. And there's this verse, so-and-so, that that just is an amazing thing. It's really given me this insight that's helped me so much. Okay? Now, once somebody gets to the point that they're more of a spectator or a seeker, and they actually now are struggling with genuine questions, because some people really do have intellectual barriers to faith. They really think it's impossible that, that God could allow the evil in the world. And it's not just a smokescreen question. Your job is to discern. Is this just totally 
a reason, an excuse for not believing, or they really have this question. But when they really have the question, we need to help respond to those questions. And you can get an awful lot of resources to help you. You don't have to know everything in your own head all at once. Okay, next we're going to go to a circle. Once, the next slide. We're going to focus on the yellow ring. Focus on the yellow ring, okay? <laughs> a lot of data here. Just focus on the yellow ring. This circle represents the spiritual growth of the believer. Just like the other scale, it's a useful tool. It's just a tool, not inspired, not perfect, not flawless. You don't have to agree with every word on it. Nothing to do with chronological age. I have known a lot of believers who were very old and had been going to church all their life and were still infants or children in the Lord. They never really grew up. Now, this wheel is not for evangelism, but for discipleship of the saved. So once someone is born again, they trust Christ for salvation, they become a spiritual infant, a newborn. Now think about it. Physiologically, what's a newborn like? What's a baby like? They are helpless. They can't even feed themselves if you put it on a plate in front of them. Right? They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to walk. And they don't know how to clean up their messes. Right? Okay. So this correlates to a newborn Christian who doesn't yet know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to feed themselves spiritually. They don't know how to confess their sins to God and be cleansed. They don't know how to talk, how to pray. So what do they need? They need a more mature believer to invest time with them, to come alongside them. Don't just say, you should read your Bible but actually sit down and read it with them and help them get past whatever barrier there is. In Ecuador, this was a huge hurdle for a lot of the people we interacted with. One lady told Cheryl, "Uh, gosh, I guess I could read a verse a week. It was just so intimidating to her to sit down and read her Bible. And Cheryl had to sit down with her and show her she could do it. This lady was not illiterate. She could read. But she was intimidated by the Word of God. Okay? So we show them how to have a personal daily quiet time. An older child can feed themselves, okay? You put the plate out there, maybe it has to be prepared by somebody else. And this could be the person in spiritual terms who always relies on a published Bible study written by somebody else instead of studying the Word of God for themselves. It's not a bad thing, but you want to eventually get to the point that you're feeding yourself, that you're preparing your own food, your own meals, okay? What characterizes a childish person? Self-centeredness. It's all about me. Right? Now, how many spiritual children do you know, huh? I don't want to ask that question to Neil or anything and embarrass anybody. Okay, these are the kind of people that get upset because of the style of music or the color of the carpet, and they leave the church because they don't like the youth group or whatever it is. It's all about what they can get out of it and not what they can give. Cheryl's attitude has always been, I expect when I come to a church, I'm going to be the youth program, you know? You know, start it myself. I'm going to have to go for it, you know? Because that is a servant attitude. And that person, you see, what, what does the child need? They need connection to God, connection to other believers, and connection to God's purpose for their lives, okay? So how do you help a person grow up from being a spiritual child to being a spiritual young adult? Because you can do this, you see. You can do this. 
You can help somebody grow. You need to figure out where they are so you can help them take the next step. So if you see someone whose life is characterized by self-centeredness, invite them to meet with you and begin to show them in the Word of God, help them to discover it, you know, asking questions, saying, here, read this verse, tell me what you see. What does it mean? But when they see that God wants to use them to advance His kingdom, they're suddenly connected to something much bigger than themselves. And they get outside of themselves and begin to look outside, to begin to look about concern for others and see how they can serve rather than be served. Okay? In fact, one of the best ways is through small groups. You can use examples from the Scriptures and just let the Scripture speak for itself. And they, in real relationships with other believers, are bonded to your church. They don't leave over little tiny things, but they care. They're connected, you see. And they see how the Scriptures apply in their lives. Okay, the young adult, just to save time, I will say that this refers to a person who's becoming increasingly other-centered rather than self-centered. That's the key characteristic here. That's a person looking for ministry opportunities. Maybe they're like, I'd, I'd like to volunteer to teach in the Sunday school. At this stage, they lack experience, and what they really need are ministry opportunities with evaluation and feedback. They need coaching in ministry skills. They need training. So in Ecuador, that's what we're all about. Taking along a local in everything we do, it's like if you're going to go share the Christ, you don't just go share Christ. You get, hey, Joe, come on with me. Let's do it together so that they see it done, and then you have Joe do it. Okay? Now, the spiritual parent has children. A spiritual parent is a reproducing Christian. Perhaps they're leading other people to Christ, or perhaps they're adopting You can be an adoptive parent, okay? There's a young believer that you have met and you recognize that person needs some help maturing and they, you would love to invest in them. There's a lot of mature godly people in this room. Are you discipling somebody? Identify a promising younger believer and meet with them regularly and invest in their lives. They need somebody that can guide them and coach them and mentor them. So the hallmark of spiritual parent is intentionality. Look at the Gospels just asking yourself about Jesus' purposefulness in everything he did and said. Have you ever really been struck by that before? I mean, he marched to the cross on purpose. There was no accident about it. He's not a victim. So Barnabas is the classic scriptural example of somebody who looks around and goes, hey, there's a guy, I can help him grow up, and he's suddenly eclipsed by a student, Paul. Because Barnabas was doing this thing. And then he goes, hey, John Mark, you failed the last time. Come along with me. Paul's like, out the door with him, you know. (laughs) But we need Barnabases in the church, people who are sons of encouragement to help others mature. Okay, so what do we do? Next slide. Okay, we're in the southernmost part of Ecuador where it's less than 1% Bible-believing Christians. Now in Quito and Guayaquil, there are substantial populations of real believers. But where we are in the southernmost portion in Loja, um, very few believers, but we work with those few. Next. 
Okay, I am a pediatrician, <laughs> seeing patients, and next, uh, training up Ecuador's future doctors. So in the next slide. So part of what we do is pediatric patient care and medical student teaching in a limited fashion in a government-based clinic so that I don't have to staff it, I don't have to keep it open 24-7, etc. But next... But the main thing we do is extensive involvement in every aspect of the local church, teaching and training, coming alongside the locals as they do ministry, okay? Helping them do it better. Next. Okay, so here's the Old Testament panorama drama, which is now the whole Bible panorama because they're doing New Testament right now and all that. But Cheryl started all of this. Um, recruited, selected young people that she saw very much potential, but who had no ministry opportunities. They were either spiritual children with potential, or they were spiritual young adults who needed ministry opportunities. And so she picked them, okay? You got handing up bricks there for the Tower of Babel, but oh, what, 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 what did she say? You know, they now are confused. Next, Moses confronts Pharaoh by the Nile. Next, crossing the Red Sea. Next, Getting the Ten Commandments. Next. And then a lot of interactive uh, participation with the audience, you see. You can do hand signals that will help recapitulate the Old Testament stories. You have to understand that the people of Ecuador are biblically illiterate. They don't know the scriptures at all. And so, I mean, they may not have heard of Abraham. I was doing a Bible study. I thought that this much I could take for granted, mistake. I was doing a Bible study on Galatians with a couple of nurses at my hospital, and they started crying. And I'm like, what is going on? What did I say? You know? And they're like, we just don't understand. And it was because it was talking about Abraham and how he represents this and that. You know, and it's all, we don't even know who Abraham is. They've been in the church, local, you know, okay, all their life. But they had never heard the Bible. They had never heard the Word of God. They did not know who Jesus is. And so, okay, so you want to know Genesis 1 through 11? Well, we can do that. Okay, creation of the world, right? Fall into sin. The flood is rising and the separation of the nations of the Tower of Babel. And now you have Genesis 1 through 11, right? Ready for that again? Okay, (laughs) creation, fall, flood, separation of the nations. There you go. Okay, so you can do this kind of stuff, and in five minutes, they can take you through the whole Old Testament in a memorable, fun fashion. So the next slide, there's the, the audience is doing all of this, you see. So this is an outreach, right? This is evangelism, but you don't do it in isolation. Instead, you're taking along local believers. Next, these young people are being discipled by Cheryl, and, and I got drawn into it, thank God. She started having the girls meet with her and the guys meet with me for serious accountability, talking about deep stuff, pornography, and other things they're struggling with, and trying to really help these kids grow up in the Lord. Next slide. And so they have become a family of young people with tremendous ministry potential, and several of these in this picture are discipling others at this point, having meetings with other people. Go on. So these kids are crucial, critical things in our lives. And you take people with you and help them to mature. Take the next step. Next. There they are doing ministry out in a, another little little village that did not have any, any witness at all. Next. And these two guys I've been meeting with for several years. So they are really growing but they need your prayers because here you think about how many christian resources 
how many bookstores and radio stations and internet resources and all those things that you have access to. And these guys, they may not know anybody else who reads the Bible at all. You know, they're the only one and they feel really alone. And so they may tube. They may, you know, have some, a couple of those guys are really struggling. They need your prayers. Okay, next slide. So finally, main points today, long-term missionaries are desperately needed. Is it you? Are, are you being called by the Lord to pick up and go? Next, the principal task of missions today is equipping believers in the majority world so that they can become capable of effectively reaching and teaching others as we work together as a team. Okay? May the Lord bless his word. Amen.